If you like Inglorious Trexperts, you'll love the 430 Movie, available wherever you listen to podcasts or at 430movie.com. Join us every week as we program exclusive fantasy theme weeks full of the movies you grew up on. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And this is Captain's Courageous. We're going to talk about great and not so great Star, <laughs> Star Trek captains today on the show. And uh, once again, we're joined by uh, two of our uh, regular guests returning uh, to the show, um, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett, you may know director Robert Meyer Burnett. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm always uh, I'm always. Uh, having a good time hanging out with the Inglorious Trexperts. Well, it's always great to have uh, an Inglorious Trexpert like yourself with us. And uh, we also have, you know him as the uh, co-creator of uh, TNT's show Perception with Eric McCormick and uh, also a writer-producer on uh, both Star Trek Voyager and uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Mr. Michael Sussman is back. Michael, welcome back. Thank you. I'm thrilled to thrilled to be back. Yeah, I, I can tell. <laughs> That's a lot of enthusiasm. The man has enthusiasm. 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 And uh, <laughs> with that kind of excitement, this is going to be a bond burner. <laughs> Hello, Captain. <laughs> Nothing to say. Captain. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Finney never made Captain because he no. just he didn't uh, he didn't have the right stuff. It was Kirk's That's fault, true. I think. It was all Kirk's fault. He he, he blamed Kirk. He just hanging out in that ion pod. I know he didn't jettison. The, he jettisoned the pod. What are you going to do? In that ion storm. <laughs> Very you know, sad. I got to tell you, Very you know, you know, look, you know, I'm not a fan of uh, the remastered Star Treks where they did the new effects. However, the thing I did like about Court Martial was they showed where the eye was. Pod. Actually, I finally understood what the <laughs> hell was going on with the pod and jettisoning the pod, and, it, and and plus that matte painting of of the starbase. Great, gorgeous. Yeah. That's one of the best of the remastered episodes, simply yeah. because it added to the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like that's where that that it really worked. It really worked, but uh, you know, I think I'm such a fan of, of that uh, fe- effects work, that that brilliant, groundbreaking visual effects work on the original show that I always had a problem with, uh, you know, doing it, especially doing it on the cheap. Um, you know, I know the people involved gave their wholeheartedly, you know, and th- and the reason it's as good as it is is because of the work of um, the people that worked on it, who who were passionate and cared. But um, but that's another episode. But that, yeah, I guess that's another episode. We're here to talk about captains, Star Trek captains. Oh, captain, my captain! And, <laughs> no, wait, uh, I thought it was Captain's Courageous. It's, Which uh, title is it? I'm going to keep auditioning <laughs> titles until we land on one I like. Uh, but you know, we're going to talk about Star Trek captains, and it all starts. It starts with the captain, the captain, and of course, that's there's only one. William Shatner is Captain James Tiberius Kirk. To James T. Kirk, Captain of the Enterprise. Thank you, Doctor. That's one of your better prescriptions. Simple, but effective. Do you know the one? All I ask is a tall ship, 
It's a line from a poem, a very old poem, isn't it? 20th century Earth. All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer by. You, you could feel the wind at your back in those days. The sounds of the sea beneath you. And even if you take away the wind and the water, it's still the same. The ship is yours. You can feel her. And the stars are still there, Bones. Captain Kirk, to the bridge, please. Captain Kirk. Tell, tell me, um, guys, why, after all these years, 50 uh, years and change, is he still the captain? You know, you look on TV Guide, you look at the book. It's like Sean Connery is James Bond. You know, you may love the other actors who play James Bond, but it, Sean Connery is James Bond. You know, William Shatner is Captain. Look, from the moment he's on screen in Where No Man Has Gone Before, and our friend Scott Mance has said this before, he is Kirk. From the first frame, you can see the glint in his eye, the spring in his voice. Uh, the excitement and fun that he's having, even in his little scene just talking with Spock. He has command, he has presence, he has uh, a jocularity and an ease of, uh, of dealing with his uh, first officer and the situations, and he's just there. He's immediately present, and yeah. uh, it's, it's wonderful to see. Yeah. He's also not written as an archetype. If you look at the first season of Star Trek, he, he's a, the Kirk character is written as a very fully formed and very well-rounded human being. Mm-hmm. Um, with many uh, facets. With many facets. I mean, I love, in The Man Trap, the first episode that was ever aired, everyone sees their version of Nancy Crater. And Kirk doesn't see her as, you know, this this hot woman he sees her as a middle-aged woman and 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 McCoy sees her with through his rose-colored glasses and there's this great moment where he says she's a handsome woman you know and 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 he's 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 admiring his his friend's love and the way he views but but he holds back and mm-hmm. and he, he just he, he, right out the gate Kirk is is he's not written as some uh, larger-than-life, swashbuckling Errol Flynn-type character. He's grounded, and you believe him as both a ship's captain, a military leader, and just as a man. Yeah, and yet, Michael, you know, uh, Roddenberry talks at great length about how he was inspired by the literary antecedent of uh, Captain Horatio Hornblower, and so there's a literary precedent for this character of uh, James T. Kirk. What is it about... Captain Kirk, that for you uh, resonates so so strongly. You know, it's when I was young, I, I I identified with Spock, but I wanted to be Kirk. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a really great scene in uh, I guess it's in Balance of Terror, which it, it's a fantastic scene, and Shatner is great in it. Where he's I think he's in his quarters and he's telling Bones, you know, what if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. and he's full of all this doubt, and it, it's it's a Wonderful juxtaposition, seeing him on the bridge in command, and then secretly in his quarters. Am I doing the right thing or not? Now, I, I love the idea of that. It's a wonderfully done scene. But even now, looking back on it, you didn't see a lot of that in in future episodes or seasons. Well, part of me doesn't. I feel like one that was possibly a, a holdover for the from the concept of Pike, who mm. was 
you know, we saw very early on was and, he was all doubt. He was he was kind <laughs> yeah. of all doubt. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if this new version of Pike that we're going to be seeing on Discovery continues with that or yeah. whether they don't they hold let it go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> stop <I'm>, it, <laughs> stop it, Darren. But I think you know th- that they let that go with with Kirk was was probably a good thing. I didn't want to see. It's not that I wanted him to be more stereotypical, but I. Even as a viewer, I didn't want to see behind the curtain and see mm. that Kirk was doubting and fallible. not sure he was doing. The, and I mean, clearly he he was fallible, and, he, and and like he would he would go on his instincts and take the you know the best information that was available to him and make a decision. But that he would be kind of racked with I don't know what to do. I didn't quite buy it. See, mm. I loved him as the quarterback, you know, who could give the rousing speech like "risk is our business," yeah. you know, and and get everybody on board. Like we're going to go down there, and we're going to give our bodies to Sargon, and who knows what the hell's going to happen. But <laughs> uh, and, and at the same time, in private with Dr. McCoy, he could confess to his dad. Now, it's very different than what Chris Pine was doing in Star Trek Beyond. It was like, I hate being in space. It's boring. I wish I could go play, do something fun, like ride motorbikes or something. You that's, know. A, that's a good impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm bored, and space is boring, and all we do is science, and I, I want to go do something like, you know, go play some football. You know, whereas, uh, whereas you know, when Shatner would do it, it's like he had moments of doubt because he kept losing people on missions right. and things. And it was different than Pike, too, who was just whiny, 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 you know, uh, who didn't want to be a captain. You know, Kirk loved being the captain, but he knew with great power comes great responsibility. But I would like to say in that episode, because I love that scene with Kirk, uh, people are dying. The, the Romulans are wiping out bases and they've watched people die and and you know this showed to me it was showed the pain that Kirk felt there's a, there's another a scene that I was loved even as a kid in the second season the classic doomsday machine where Kirk is all alone in auxiliary control mm-hmm. trying to get the the he he himself he's not with Scotty he's putting together the view screen and trying to fix the ship so he can see what the hell is going on right. and he's all by himself and he's kind of you know he's getting his elbow grease on and he's really fixing something and it shows that he's mechanically inclined and mm-hmm. he's really adept and he's just he's it's a quiet moment where you're watching him Get the job done. He's not commanding, mm-hmm. but he's also very good at what he's, he's doing. He's also capable. Yes, at, he's very capable. At all the jobs that he commands. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, well, and, and I'm excited was... about doing our, our next episode, Commodore's Creages, <laughs> where we do uh, Will Matt Decker in Commodore's Creages. We talk about all the great Commodores in Star Trek history. But, uh, you know, that was another thing is that as a kid, I identified with Kirk because he seemed like a well-rounded guy. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yet he wasn't intimidating. Like, I wasn't, I didn't look up, you know, I knew I I would never be Ironside when I was a child. Like not in a wheelchair, but I would not be able. I would not be able to go into a courtroom. That was aspirational for you. What? Well, the Defenders, another great show. You know, I couldn't. I was not going to be Marcus Welby. You know, but I thought I could grow up and be Captain Kirk. You just didn't want Lenore Caridian as your girlfriend. Oh yes, I did. <laughs> For a while, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, plus Kirk was—he was, he was a, a great tactician. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, when he would lure the ships in, you know, like, you know, when they were in battle, he always had a great way. Uh, you know, whether it was in Journey to Babel where he played dead or, you know, Balance of Terror. You know, he was a really good strate- strategist. Or Balance and, of Terror where he played dead. Yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> but, okay, how about in a court dead. I mean, how about a court might maneuver where there's that incredible bluff, right? you know, that he convinces them that he has this court might device yeah. that will destroy them, you know, and attack. Yeah. I mean, not, it, not chess, chess, Mr. Spock. Mr. Spock. 
poker. Exactly. And, and you know, it's so funny because as brilliant as Mr. Spock is, he could never come up with an idea right. like that. He, he couldn't bluff. He, right. He's not a three-dimensional, you know, he couldn't think in those kind of three-dimensional terms. It's, it's, it's so interesting. And, uh, you know, that's why even, look, even by the time you get to Star Trek II and, he, you know, he, the prefix code, mm-hmm. you know, it's our only home. But, uh, you know, using that to lower their shields, I, I, I just love when Kirk is being smart. Yeah. And it's not just swagger. It's not just about the swagger or the Lothario. I mean, yeah, it was fun yeah. to see him uh, you know, seduce, you know, these, these beautiful women and, um, and, and um, uh, we, you know, <laughs> whoever they are, wherever they were. But, um, but again, when he was doing it, it was for a specific reason. Yes. He was trying to either win their confidence or uh, uh, get them off guard. Or he or... genuinely just loved them or, or well, felt strong. You whenever know? they came back from the past, whenever you met a woman from Kirk's past, they were right. always scientists or lawyers mm-hmm. or, or very exceptional women. That also happened to be incredibly beautiful. But but he he liked people that were good that were just as capable as he was. And you pointed out, he always stayed on good terms with them. No, that was me. Oh, you, you pointed that was out. Me. Okay. It, you know, yeah, you pointed our, out that, you know, when you, when you see all these women that Kirk, you know, you, you my ex, you know, you should, all well, people should read, you know, uh, the danger of reopening old wounds. The only one, other than Carol Marcus, he was on great terms with everyone. You Janice know. Lester was and really Janice Lester. And Janice Lester. Okay. But that was more on her, her Janice Lester, her okay. She made Leila Colomi look, you know, positively sane by comparison. <laughs> I mean, you know, Janice Lester was like, what'd she get out of Arkham Asylum? I mean, it was like, you know, this is crazy. But, uh, but you know, the fact that she wants to switch bodies with Kirk and that she doesn't think there could be captains and female captains in Starfleet. We all know there are plenty of female captains in Starfleet. Scott Bakula. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, I mean, Kirk was, uh, you know, and, and Rob, we used to say this when we were doing press for Free Enterprise. You know, he was a man who had the respect of uh, his, uh, his, his crew, the loyalty of his friends, and, you know, Green Girl on Every Planet. And, you know, we were being somewhat facetious, but, you know, it checked all the boxes. And he was a great inspirational leader. That's why, uh, you know, we're all so obsessed and, and in many cases can recite from memory these great Kirk speeches. Um, you know, like risk is our business. They used to say if man could fly, he'd have wings. But he did fly. He discovered he had to. Do you wish that the first Apollo mission hadn't reached the moon, or that we hadn't gone on to Mars and then to the nearest star? That's like saying you wish that you still operated with scalpels and sewed your patients up with catgut, like your great, 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 Great-grandfather used to. I'm in command. I could order this. But I'm not. Because Dr. McCoy is right in pointing out the enormous danger potential in any contact with life and intelligence as fantastically advanced as this. But I must point out that the possibilities, the potential for knowledge and advancement is equally great. Risk. Risk is our business. That's what the starship is all about. Even in the third season, you know, uh, you know, when he's confronting the alien and devil in the dark mm-hmm. uh, with Kang, you know, um, uh, 
You mean Day of the Dove? Day of the Dove. Day of the Dove. What did I say? Devil Devil the the I'm sorry. Day of the Dove. Devil in the Dove. Uh, Day the of the Dove. Romance is the Horta mom. Who, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Mark. What was your first reaction to the very first scene in the opening of Encounter at Farpoint when you met Jean-Luc Picard for the very first time and he has that conversation with Data? Well, you know, that's an interesting question, Rob, because my first uh, recollection of seeing Patrick Stewart was in the page of Starlog where they announced the cast of Next Generation. And, you know, my only concept of a Star Trek captain was James T. Kirk. So when I saw this sort of bald, older uh, English actor, uh, you know, Shakespearean, you know, more comfortable in tights than in a Starfleet tunic. Uh, I was, I was concerned. I was like, "Who? What? How? Really?" You know. Uh, but you know, by the time Farpoint was over, there's a lot about that pilot that doesn't work. But clearly, one of the things that does work is the brilliant performance by Patrick Stewart as, as Jean-Luc Picard. Why do you use other life forms for your recreation? If so, you've not provided the best. Leave us! We've passed your little test. Temper, temper, mon capitaine. Get off my ship. I do so only because it suits me to leave. I will not promise never to appear again. I mean, yeah. as an entirely different kind of captain, but still, uh, uh, you know, respected by his crew and in command but in a different way. And if I may use the James Bond analogy again, the problem with George Lazenby was they tried to cast a second-rate Connery. They right. tried to get an actor who would basically do a Connery impression, and it didn't work. As much as we all like George Lazenby, it, it, you know, he's no Connery, right? He, he's, he's, he's a second-rate Connery. The wrath of Connery. Whereas, whereas Roger Moore was a completely different he didn't try to play it as comedy uh, as connery he was a debonair gentleman spy and that's why the roger moore performance worked in live and let die because he's completely different than connery and i think it's the same thing with star trek had you tried to cast you know a shatner no one would compare to shatner right. you come across as a second rate shatner whereas uh, and there's only one bill but by casting Patrick, who's completely different, it was such a savvy decision, mm -hmm. and it worked. Well, it's funny, because I asked you that question, because going back and revisiting that episode, the exchange uh, between Data and Picard right. in that first sequence... You will agree, Data, that our Starfleet's orders are difficult. I, I mean, it, it, it's <laughs> like you're watching some English drawing room comedy yeah. on this brightly lit... <laughs> Bridge and then and then data. I mean, it's prototype TNG. You, yes. You're looking at in its infancy, and, and the fact that he's he's having this supposedly playful banter with his pet android. Right. It's so weird. But then later in the episode, when he confronts Q, when he's in right. Q realm, you know, then you really see Patrick Stewart opening up, and suddenly you're like, oh, mm -hmm. okay, this guy, this guy's got some chops. He's a leader. He's just like you said, different, but legit. Yeah, like I was uh, the first hour, uh, an hour into TNG, uh, into Farpoint. I'm like, I'll follow this guy. I'm mm -hmm. in. Yeah, yeah. And and he never, you know, look. Even in the worst episodes, he elevated the material. You know, I mean, I know we disagree about this, but even in masks, as bad as that is, you know, he you know, he commits, and that was what Shatner did too. Shatner committed to the material. So even when he's in an awful episode like Turnabout Intruder. He gives it a hundred percent, oh yeah, and 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 more, 
and uh, and 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 Patrick did the same thing. He never felt as though he was slumming. You know, you never felt, oh, this is a Shakespearean actor, and this is the best he could get, and he figures the paycheck, and you know, when he's done, he's done. he always you know committed to material, and he made it better yeah. through a sheer force of will. He was present. Yeah. And there are moments, I mean, like in the drumhead, when he's basically put on, you know, put on on trial by by Gene Simmons, um, and uh, he, he gives that speech about what a drumhead is. And then there's moments in yesterday's Enterprise where he's talking to a guy and he slams his fist down the desk and he's like, "I know what you're telling me, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough." You know. And there's moments where there's fire in that guy's mm-hmm. belly. Uh, his I, closing argument in uh, Measure of a Man. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, very yeah. much so. Well, it sits waiting. Yeah, that that that's a it's great. And then you know, I particularly I always point the family. I think that's such a nuanced performance because it's so different for him, and it's, he's so much more vulnerable than he's ever been uh, before. Because there's a guy who never really showed any um, chinks in the armor, and uh, and you you see it, you know, in the in the wake of what's happened to him in Best of Both Worlds. And and then by the time you get to all good things, you know, all good things unfortunately is leaden with too much techno babble. But all those moments where he's suffering from basically Alzheimer's, you know, whatever they called it, I forget. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, he's so terrific in the various timelines, trying to convince everybody that um, uh, you know this is that, that there's a t- anomaly going on. And when he has the beard and he's in the vineyards in France, I mean, that, that that's some of his best work is in all good things. Yeah. And, and 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 what you forget is. He's exhausted. He just directed an episode. They're getting ready to start Generations. You know, they just finished this grueling season. He just finished shooting, uh, doing his one-man play, Christmas Carol. He was at, like, the end of this long road, and he just gives what is, you know, one of his great performances. Well, he's a consummate, you know, RSC Shakespearean actor. Yeah. I mean, he really is. But another thing I think is a. I was at a different point in my life when I came to TNG. You know, I was in college when it started. And and what I really appreciated about him was he never had his enemy within episode. You know, there's never Cap, – Captain Picard kept a certain sense of decorum and a certain sense of – that he was never going to go off the deep end. He was never going to become up. Ron Tracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't bottled up. He was mannered and he was thoughtful and he was the kind of captain that uh, was going to keep the ship straight no matter what was being thrown in the direction of, of the enterprise it's and interesting to me oh i'm sorry Robin. no no please go ahead how the 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 captain the character of the captain on, on i think pretty much on all the shows ends up becoming more and more like the actor and as and as they mm-hmm. and as they sort of meld in an almost sci-fi kind of way yeah. the character becomes richer and more interesting because i, I felt like you you're descri- describing patrick and Picard, because mm-hmm. I mean the the final moment of the you know terrific finale was him sitting down and joining, you yeah. know, letting his hair down so to speak, and joining the crew for some poker. Right. And you know, you look back on the stories that you know Mark you've written about about how he was you know kind of standoffish. Patrick at was first, at the beginning yeah. of the run, mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't joke with the rest of the cast. This is serious. Why are you guys? And he relaxed into. He relaxed into playing Picard, and right. Picard relaxed over, right. over all those seasons. I love, I think he was at a convention. It may have been Las Vegas or whatever. It was with the cast, and he said, you know, I was a real horse's ass back then. Right. You know? <laughs> and he, he said his great, um, he, he said the great, one of the great things about Next Generation was 
learning from this cast, this ensemble of actors, how to loosen up, mm-hmm. you know, and how to have fun, and that you could still take the work seriously and still have a good time. And I think that's what we all aspire for in this business, is to do great work, but have fun doing it. That it doesn't have to be Jaws. Right. You know, that it doesn't have to be this miserable, you know, or apocalypse now, you know, where we're just awful and it's awful and, and just horrible. And, you know, every day is a nightmare and a new problem. And then eventually you make great art. It's like if you can have it all, you know, where you have a great experience and then also make something really special. Well, then, you know, it brings us then to Avery Brooks, who is a different animal in the sense that I did not like Avery Brooks uh, when when DS9 first started, I thought the pilot emissary might very well be the best of the modern Star Trek pilots, but I didn't. There was something about I don't know about his stilted performance. So there was something off about him that I didn't like that completely changed for me over the entire course right. of of Deep Space Nine. And people say, oh, it was when he you know grew the beard or whatever, shaved his head and became a badass. But again, like what what Mike was just saying, I think that as Avery Brooks melded to the character of Cisco, he brought a lot more to the role and and more of himself and the character became uh much better and and more endearing to me and I dearly love Cisco by the end of Deep Space. And I Nine. think that's in keeping with the development of his character because when we first meet his character, he's being put into a situation that he doesn't really want to be in. Right. He's he's just got out of a, a terrible situation with the uh, battle at Wolf three five nine, and he is he doesn't want to be. He's there. lost his wife. Yeah. Right. He, he, he doesn't, he doesn't want son. to be in this show. <laughs> right. I'm better than this. And, I need and, the money. And as he grows into it, so does the character. Well, you know, we can cheat, too, because at the time he was a commander. Right. You know, his first couple of years. He doesn't become a captain until later in the yeah. run. Yeah. That, and, 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 yeah, and I do feel like when, you know, he was uncomfortable playing this guy with hair. And, I mean, Ira <laughs> Bear has talked about it. Right. You know, that wasn't him. So, you know, we joke that, like, yeah, he became a badass when he shaved his head and he grew the goatee. But that's who Avery was. Right. And, and finally, you know, he couldn't wrap himself he around the rock. And, and he yeah. became Hawk. Right. But, I mean, the war arc suited him because, you know, when he went up against Mark Alamo as Gul Dukat and when he went up against uh, the Vorta, you know, against Jeffrey Combs, I mean, you know, or, or those big larger-than-life Klingon performances, it brought out the best in Avery. And uh, when he was doing these smaller, little more subtle things, um, you know, early on, you know, he was not the best part of that show. And, uh, you know, by the end, he was, you know. And uh, you look at that speech in the pale moonlight, but I can live with it. I mean, that's one of the great Star Trek scenes in all the, uh, in all the shows. When I first took command of this post, all I wanted was to be somewhere else, anywhere but here. But now, five years later, this has become my home, and you have become my family. And leaving the station, leaving you, is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But this war isn't over yet. I want you to know that while we were keeping the Dominion occupied, a Starfleet Klingon task force crossed the border into Cardassia and destroyed the Dominion shipyards on Taurus III. Your sacrifices... Our sacrifices made that victory possible. But no victory can make this moment any easier for me. And I promise I will not rest until I stand with you again. Here. 
in this place where I belong. I think it's very hard. I, I think those roles are very intimidating. Uh, playing a Starfleet captain, never mind, a, you know, the you know first on a call sheet of yeah. a of a legendary franchise. There, there was an actor that I helped cast for. Uh, it was playing a Starfleet captain in, uh, in in one of the series, and this actor did a a, a great read through. Was terrific in the room. We were so excited to cast this person, and then on the set, in the uniform. They were kind of stiff and not really commanding, and uh, it, it, it. We were. What would happen to the person who who read and blew us away in the room? I think they had been intimidated by the sets and the flashing lights, and and just like oh, now I have to be Starfleet, and 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 I. We weren't ultimately happy with that performance, but for me, that really underlined how how unique it is an actor who can who can sell that part and, you know, as certainly, you know, I mean, I would argue that, you know, Shatner and Stewart were certainly, uh, you know, among the best to do it. And they'd had a lot of experience playing kings and leaders sure. and Shakespeare on the stage. Alexander the Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, it feels like you really need that, that background to play, to play that character. One captain I was going to talk about, it's a little bit of cheating, is the, is, is the character of Captain Spock. I never even even saying the words Captain Spock doesn't doesn't, it doesn't feel right doesn't feel right, <laughs> right. no yeah. and it always bothered me that uh, that they made him a captain for a whole bunch of other plot reasons right. that he was basically hanging around waiting waiting for, for Kirk to, Kirk show, to up, yeah. show up uh, which I don't think serviced the Spock character but um, Sp- Captain Spock is probably my least favorite of all the captains I I, I would <laughs> agree he never should have been a captain so funny. second only to Captain Scott. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Captain, well, of en- a, captain of engineering. What the hell bride. is that? <laughs> what the hell is a captain of engineering? That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But you know, yeah. I-, I would go so far as to say we saw we saw Scotty in command of the Enterprise a couple of times, and he was a very capable captain. I mean, uh, he, fool me once, shame on you. You know, fool me, yeah. fool me twice. And, and there were me. moments where where in, in certain episodes where I was like, Scotty, Scotty could have been. A, I would like to have seen the Captain Scotty show. I think there could have been, or at least an episode or two. You know, there where... were always great moments where he was in command, whether it was like Gamesters or Triskelion, mm-hmm. I think, and, you know, where, where the crew, where, where the landing Taste party disappeared, Taste Armageddon. That's, that's probably his best, yeah. uh, you know, where he stands up to that Pop and J. Fox. Uh, it, it's really, um, you know, he, he, he he's really good. And that's the thing, he always wanted more to do, and he was always better in small doses. And I always right. liked when he wasn't doing the shtick, but when he was... You know, when he was doing it straight. On yeah. the bridge doing it straight, you know, and, um, you know, as opposed to hitting his head onto a header beam. <laughs> yeah, he got great things to do, like Wolf of the Fold. He got to be great, you know. Yeah. And crazy uh, by any other name when he got drunk with the, the Andromeda. I mean, you know. It's, I could be wrong, but I feel like one of the reasons uh, Scotty became a captain and Sulu became a captain and characters on the other shows got promotion is when the actors came by at the end of the season asking for a little more money next yeah. year even in though it wasn't in their pay. contract. But yeah, that's right. actually right. Well, they would well, actually, that commander. was part of negotiation where they would give them these title bumps and, and it would help them with the negotiations because it all, they felt they'd make, get more on the convention circuit because they were like more prestigious and they really, I mean, particularly, you know, uh, George Takei got really wrapped up in right. this whole idea of I should be a captain, you know, and he talked about how Shatner's performance sabotaged him out of his captaincy 
in Star Trek Two. I mean, it's ludicrous. it's ludicrous. I mean, it's freaking ludicrous. Shatner's talked about this, and he said, "Why would you want to get a promotion? You get taken off the show." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so ridiculous. But you know, such a great point you make about um, uh, Spock, uh, because obviously Leonard is, is is such a sensational performer, but it's such a subtlety in his performance. Whereas the great captains are all larger than life, as you said, Shatner. Clearly bigger than life, you know. Uh, he's just operatic. Uh, that's the way I like to describe him. Uh, 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 Stewart is Shakespearean, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that is, I think, what you need in your in, in your captains. I think when you get smaller and subtler, it's less effective, and that's why you see from Avery. Avery's playing the role very subtle initially in Deep Space Nine, and he's not as good until he becomes bigger and broader. And I don't mean hammy. I just mean that there, there, there's a charisma and there's a there's the, the cock of the walk, and I think the captain needs that. And and any I, leader needs that. To me, even though Shatner, you know, you said Shatner is operatic, which I believe. What I love about Avery Brooks is he seems quintessentially American. Mm. He's like this American, you know, he's he's from his character. Sis, the Cisco's come from New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, he seems like he might have grown, grown, gone to school in Chicago with Obama, you know, maybe <laughs> moved or wow. grew up with him. He looks good you know, for his age. You know, <laughs> right. I, but, but I mean, you know, he seemed, Avery seemed to me like like the most American mm-hmm. of all the, the captains, along with Scott Bakula. Sure. All American. And, um, uh, you know, the single father thing and... I I really liked that about him, where whereas he didn't seem to me like he was theatrically trained. He seemed like he was trained in the heart of America somewhere. But you know, Avery was a big theater actor, you right? Know, and, and 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 a singer and a performer, and uh, you know, it it was really great to to sort of watch Avery find it because you were rooting for him, right? Because you love that show, you love that cast, and you want to see it happen for him. And it did, and uh, you never looked back. I, I mean, thought emissary made you love him as a kid. You loved you loved the Cisco character because he was in such pain. Well, and and you know him as a father. It was the one time we really saw one of these Star Trek characters as, as a father, and that was a really interesting from the very dynamic, beginning. You know, to see him with his kid, and 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 you know there were times where you wish they dealt with it a little more. Like, would you be as willing to go on some of these dangerous missions, knowing that? Your son has lost their mother, and that they're relying on you. Um, you, you know how how quick would you be to go through the wormhole and uh, and risk your life and limb? But you're a Star Trek captain, so you do it. Now, before we uh, scoot over to Voyager, I mean the the series itself, we've all seen the clips of the first actress to play Captain Janeway, sure, Jean-Vivien Bouljold, and her performance as you were talking about before, is very small. It's very restrained. Very internal, and, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting take on the lines that they gave her, but it's also it's also kind of not big enough for television. Sure. And it's a really interesting sort of change in dynamic when, uh, uh, when they uh, bring in, you know, uh, the actual... Uh, actress who uh, played her, um, but I, I just find it fascinating seeing this sort of alternate universe. Uh, well, that whole process is so interesting because you know when you cast a movie star, and she was in the eighties, mm-hmm. she was in a lot of, a lot of, a lot of big films. You know, I mean, going back to the seventies with Coma, and obviously she was in, like Trouble, all those Alan Rudolph movies in the eighties. I mean, that was like a big deal when they when they announced Genevieve yeah. Bougeau. 
And I'm very curious to see what, you know, might have happened. But she just was not equipped for the schedule. Uh, she also comes out of indie films where she expects there to be a give and take with her directors to see the material. And in television, you know, you could be getting you know, uh, pages that morning, you know, uh, you know, an hour before, you know, yeah. right as you're stepping on set. And then you may never have a chance to talk to the director. And each week it's a different director. It was it was not a, a good fit. Right. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, Kate Mulgrew was brought in really quickly. Yes. After that, within yeah. within a couple days. Well, she had auditioned and not gotten the role, right. too. And it's, it's it, you know, that's another one of those what ifs. There were so many interesting, you know, Lindsay Wagner. You know, mm-hmm. Aaron, Aaron Gray. I mean, a lot of interesting people. I would have loved to have seen that show with Lindsay Wagner. It would have been fascinating. I love Lindsay Wagner. I do too. But, you know, there's not a lot of, at the time, there's not a lot of uh, uh, role models for someone like Kate Mulgrew to look at and go, huh, what performance can I emulate sure. to be that larger than life uh, a woman who's going to captain a starship? Like, you know the male actors could go back and look at all these other actors who sure. played captains, military, you know, or all go these back. real captains. Yeah. All these yeah. real, you know, yeah. there was so, so Kate Mulgrew, I mean, what, what I, I liked about Kate Mulgrew, especially, and you can see it in the caretaker in caretaker, the, the Voyager pilot is she commanded the screen. Like I thought that she had uh she was very different than what we'd seen before. She was definitely not butch. She was feminine, and yet she was an authoritarian that I believed in the role of captain of the starship just in a very different way than we'd seen before. And what I liked is the fact that they they left her as a feminine figure that had also quiet power and a different energy that you believed could could lead. And that was something that was interesting. And I, I really enjoyed the first season of Voyager quite a bit, and I enjoyed her performance. On screen. Our sensors show that you are trespassing on our vessel. As I've already informed you, we're attempting to retrieve the console that caused this explosion. If you attempt to remove anything from our ship, it will be considered an act of war. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullies, and I don't like threats, and I don't like you, Color. You can try and stop us from getting to the truth, but I promise you, if you do, I will respond with all the unique technologies at my command. Janeway out. I don't know how I don't know how you yeah, felt I mean, about having it. Having worked with having, her, having written for her, to and... sort of hear your insight. Now, I, I was also interested because she's separated from her husband, which is so interesting, right. too, that she had a husband back home. So again, a very different dynamic for that character in the fact that unlike Kirk, who's footloose and fancy free, and uh, you know Picard, who had that on again, off again, will they or won't they with Crusher? That you know, and 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 occasionally had an interesting love story, but you know his that was never a big part of that character's makeup. You know, uh, Kate Mulgrew's Janeway is very different because, she, you know, she was married and she had this husband, something, you know, someone back home that she had left. Uh, um, wh- what was it like writing for her? And, and, and what kind of feedback were you getting? I mean, obviously it's well chronicled, the problems she had um, with Jerry Ryan when Seven of Nine were brought, was brought on the show because she felt, shouldn't she be enough and shouldn't her... Uh, the quality she imbues, uh, you know, did they need to bring on this sort of sex pot character to to sex up the show? And of course, it became something very different. And the heart of that show was really the relationship between Seven of Nine and uh, uh, Mulgrew. Um, but uh, which was well, very mother daughter. 
Right. I mean, it played on that kind and of energy. And you couldn't have done that in any other show because you have this very maternal role that she portrays, and I, none of the captains could have really uh, fulfilled that. I mean, you see Kirk was seven or nine. You know he doesn't want to be maternal with her. It's thought you know. I was his mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think Picard was always keeping everyone else at a distance. You know, he, there was definitely a chasm between him. He never was very close with anyone. And, of course, Cisco had his relationship with Cassidy Yates that developed over the show. Which is well. a great relationship. So not only was he a single father, but then he developed, he basically ended up having one love interest. Right, because this was pretender. <laughs> so how did, uh, you know, Mike, what was it like? I mean, we haven't, we keep talking, but. What was it like writing for Jane Wayne, and what what was your perception of her as a captain? Uh, I, I, look, I, I adore Kate and, and think she was a fantastic captain, and she was always. I mean, everything I saw, she was the you know consummate professional. Everything that's subsequently come out about the the tensions on the set, I was too busy writing to ever right, right, sure. notice that. And you know, I came in on the show very very late in its run, um, but you know, I, I certainly heard stories early on about her coming into this very chaotic show that had just lost its lead. And been and, shooting for several days. And been shooting for several days. And that there was obviously a lot of attention, or a lot of tension on the set because there was still talk of, well, we may end up casting a male actor in this role. Okay, so what does that do to the gender of many of the other characters? Are they going to be replaced? Mm-hmm. And it, that she came in and just owned that set for the next seven years. Um, there was never any doubt. I, I, I can remember selling my, my very first, uh, I, did, I did an episode that aired in the third season. It was the first one where the doctor actually sang opera. Mm. And I remember uh, getting permission, a freelance writer, to visit the set for a day. And I, I brought a, a friend along. And I remember stepping through the doors on uh, stage eight or stage nine and just hearing Kate saying lines of dialogue that I had written and we're not, I'm not even on the set yet I'm hearing I'm looking at wood basically <laughs> mm-hmm. and I know she's on the other side of that and just hearing her owning those lines and being the captain How and it gave me chills dare you step on the set when the red light was on <laughs> <laughs> they were rehearsing um, but she she gave it all a, a, a 110% and I you know I think it was a, you were talking earlier about you know Patrick Stewart and how that final season was exhausting for him. She was also doing 26 episodes for, you know, not ultimately any, any feature films, but uh, it, it, it took a toll. Uh, I, I think on on her and Those she's talked about this much more seasons and she had to carry candy. the show. Yeah. I mean, she was in so many scenes. You know, a lot of the next generation. You had these characters that you know maybe they work once an episode. You know, eight day shoot or seven day shoot. They show up for one day. You know, they'd be off. They get paid their full rate. It was the life of Riley. Sure. You know, but yeah, Kate was in almost every scene, and she was working hard and she was held to a higher standard again because she was a a woman and the first Starfleet captain and everyone was focused on that and she had to do all this press and the grace under pressure that she showed when she stepped onto that set after the Genevieve Bougeau implosion you know and she just came in and made it look effortless and that's a real testament to her no I I agree I you know I've heard uh, about the you know the legendary uh, you know uh, well not feud but how Shatner had felt slighted by the popularity of Spock early on and, and was somewhat worried about that. I, I wish somebody had been able to take Kate aside when they brought Seven of Nine onto the show and said that this, you know, this relationship is really going to be great for your character. I think ultimately she 
came to accept that. She came to accept that and, and understand it, that it wasn't about replacing her any more than Spock was ever going to replace Kirk. Um, but Seven also brought out such that, that, that maternal side. I can't remember what episode it is, but I remember, I, I think it was very early in when, after Seven had joined the show, where she kind of falls into Janeway's arms. And it was, it was such a touching moment. Mm. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that you know, real life intrudes and, and people don't always get along. Although sometimes that leads to wonderful drama on television. Well, I, I give her so much credit because when she sat down, uh, uh, you know, um, with Ed Gross for our book, Fifty Year Mission, um, I, uh, you know, Ed had said, you know, I have to bring up an uncomfortable subject, which is, you know, a lot of people, you know, talking about, you know, the few, you know, Jerry Ryan, uh, you know, had a very difficult time. Uh, you know, working with you and a lot of the other cast said, you know, were, who who would have been very close with Kate were very uncomfortable. And to her credit, she didn't duck it at all. She dealt with it head, head on. And this is what she says. She said, let's be very straight about something. I can't do Kate Mul- uh, Hepburn or Kate Mulgrew, so I will just say it in my own voice. This is on me, not Jerry. She came in and did what she was asked to do. No question about that. And she did it very well. It's on me because I hoped against hope that Janeway would be sufficient, that we didn't have to bring a beautiful, sexy girl in, that somehow the power of my command, the vicissitudes of my talent would be sufficient unto the day because this would really change television, right? That's what dug me the hardest, that to pick up the numbers that they they did that. That was my interpretation of it, and that hurt. I found it sort of insulting, and of course she embodied the part, this beautiful girl, but we really were utterly professional. I had been nothing short of completely professional and she did her job very well. It was a very good idea that she was half bored, but it's on me. I'm sorry it has to be part of this legacy and I should have probably comported myself better. I should have been more philosophical about it, but in the moment it was difficult. I mean, I think, you know, I I have so much respect for her for, for, for accepting the blame, you know, and, but also acknowledging the fact that as the number one on the call sheet, you yeah, know, the one that everyone is deferential to, that that you know, that everyone walks on eggshells around. She was vulnerable to this. You know, we're going to bring in the girl who's going to get us on the cover of TV Guide because she's going to be in a cat suit and look all sexy. You know, and 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 a lot of it's a tough it's a tough spot to be in. Could you imagine? You know, any of the other captains? You know, you know Patrick Stewart. We're going to bring in somebody younger. You know, or, or Shatner, you know, we're gonna bring somebody else. You know, it's like, it's a difficult, difficult thing to do. And, and the fact that, you know, she can look back with hindsight and say, you know, I behaved inappropriately, but, you know, I was really wounded and hurt by this. It's, it's, uh, I wonder how differently Kate might have felt if Seven of Nine had been part of, you know, the original concept where they had met that character in the pilot or early on. Because um, I imagine, you know, <laughs> first season of TOS hadn't gone so well and they bring in this alien spot guy. Right. Shatner wouldn't have been too happy about that. Right. Or, you know, Riker was, right. you know, Rekirk, I think was his name in Mad Re- Magazine. Right, right, right. <laughs> Rekirk. Um, yeah. You know, uh, just in case Patrick didn't quite work out. It, it, and, well, know, and Roddenberry said that Riker was the character he most empathized with. You know, he would tell Frakes, you know, you're the Roddenberry character, you know, not Picard, Riker. You know, that's the way he saw himself. So it's all very interesting. So um, let's talk about how we would have liked to have seen a show with Captain Jellico. Well, you don't want to talk about Bagula first? We do, but before we get too far away from Next Generation. Okay. Because I think that um, a lot of people had, you know, uh, bad reactions in in uh, that uh, episode where Jellico comes in and just, you know, 
We should say this Scru- is a six season two part six episode, season two part episode TNG in called TNG. Chain of Command. Chain of Command, which by the way is my favorite TNG two parter. This is where um, Kevin Picard is is being tortured by the Cardassians. Meanwhile, in temporary command of the Enterprise is Ronnie Cox, right? Who you know and loved in Dick Robocop. Jones Dick Robocop. Jones, who's in command of the Enterprise, is Captain Deliverance Jellicoe. And and he he comes in and he shakes everybody up, and he he says we're at, we aren't. You know, remember the way you were doing things yesterday? We aren't doing that anymore. This is the way I run the ship, and if you don't like it, you can go stick it. Because it's, I really loved it. I loved seeing this new dynamic and how our familiar characters reacted to it. It was great. And and not only that, there's a great moment. Riker and him don't get along at all. Mm-hmm. It's At first you think it's going to work out, but it quickly goes sour. And there's a really uh, great moment where Jellicoe, is trying needs to bring Riker back onto his side. They have this conversation, and Riker's like, "There's no joy in what you do," and he's. I can see in, in Jellicoe's mind, he's like, "Look, man, I, I'm a wartime captain. I've been brought in here to deal yeah. with the Cardassians. There could be a war about to break out at any minute. I do not have time to hear your kumbaya BS problems with how I'm doing things." Right. And he wasn't even from the mirror universe. No, and it still was great. But he was—he was to me—he was—he was, was like Patton. He was stern. Yeah. He was great at what he did. And Ronnie Cox delivers a marvelous performance. And and it, it's even I, as I watch the episode, I realize Riker's wrong. You know, this guy yeah. is doing his job, and he's really good at it. He's not some crazy Ron Tracy, I've gone over the deep end because I've lost my crew, or, you know, he's not like Maricus who's, who's down on, on, you know, new, new Neo-Roma or whatever they call it, yeah. being the first citizen. And, you know, he's not one of those guys. This guy is a career lifer, yeah, man. You know, Starfleet, Starfleet needed better human resources officers because some <laughs> of those captains were really bad. They were, like, the first people to jump ship and become, like, Coca-Cola Kurtz and, you know, I'm going to join, I'm going to become a Roman and I'm going to have my crew fight in the gladiatorial games or I'm just going to kill a bunch of combs. Or, you know, it's like they needed to recruit better captains. Well, remember, Merrick wasn't a, a Starfleet captain. He was a, a merchant Yeah, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. It's a very, very different kind of thing, as no. he says in the episode. Yes, it's, it's, it is true. <laughs> he yeah, tried it, for such a command. He does. He tells, he tells. He's not a Starfleet captain. No. Right. Yeah, well, okay. no, he admires Kirk. He does. He does. But I think that Jellicoe, you know, even in Next Generation, we had people like uh, Ben Maxwell, who goes mm-hmm. off and starts targeting the Cardassians. You find out later he was right, but he's kind of going off the deep end, yeah, too. Yeah, that yeah. was in the fourth season episode, uh, The Wounded. The Wounded. But, but I thought Kurtz. Jellicoe was, and he's not, you know, he's not, he's, <laughs> he's not Decker. He didn't yeah. beam his whole crew down to the third planet. But I thought Jellicoe was a great captain. Jellicoe I would have watched a all. Great captain. If yeah, they had replaced awesome. Patrick Stewart with Jellicoe, that would have been a great show. I agree. It would have really mixed it up. You know, you always wish that they would shake up the show a little more. You know, I think in the seventh season, it really would have. You know, they talked about uh, killing off Riker and replacing him with Tom Riker. Right. But then they didn't have the guts to do it. It's like it would have been great. It would have been great. You know, well, and, the writers wanted to. I, I, it, it was Berman who said. No. You know, and it's just like that show needed to be shaken up. And, uh, you know, these shows, they get stodgy and stale, particularly in those final seasons. And the more that you, you can just do something unexpected, uh, the, the, the better it is. So, okay, so we talked about Janeway, you know. And, again, I, I, I've said this before on the show. I'll say it again. 
so important in the way that Shatner inspired us growing up. A generation of young women grew up with a female role model that they sure. could respect. Uh, uh, she was a scientist. She 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 did not exploit her sexuality. She was a leader. She was powerful, respected, and uh, I've heard it again and again at these conventions and at, you know appearances. Just how important uh, that Kate's uh, Janeway was to them, and uh, you know that's a fantastic fantastic testament to the elasticity and the power of this franchise absolutely uh so moving on to enterprise to to the the captain that supposedly kirk admired yeah supposedly that's what scott bacula said <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> well, that's what they told scott when they cast uh, him <laughs> right you know look I, I have to say i'm actually a fan of scott bacula in virtually every role other than this mm. um i i really like scott bacula as an actor uh i don't think that he to me, uh, was charismatic and 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 you know he's a TV actor. I don't mean the damn you know he he tried to do uh, you know features for a while, but I just as much as I like him and I've liked him in other roles quite a bit. I love him everything from Lord of Illusions to Quantum Leap to NC. I mean he's he's terrific. I just didn't love him in that role. Yeah, I, look, I agree with you. I think that he was kind of look. You know what I wanted to see. I really wanted to see, and this is, I wanted to see Chuck Yeager from The Right Stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's kind of what the role model might have been. Like, maybe they were going for that. He didn't have the, the swagger. The way that Sam Shepard was, yeah, he, he needed right. that swagger. The way Look. that Sam Shepard, ha- he he didn't, you know what, you know what, he, he was afraid to be, there's no ego in him. Right. right. He needed an ego. That's exactly it. You know, he needed it. his ego not to be a dick. He's but the he needed- thinking man's Bill Pullman. Well, <laughs> he really needed that ego to 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 send him. He send didn't him have the center. ego. He didn't, he have, the didn't ego. have the confidence. The, the he was narcissism. the enemy within after he'd been split apart. He didn't wow. have his side. He I've never heard it described as well as you've just described it. That's what he needed. I I completely agree. Sure. Now and you tell everybody, and that's not a knock on him. Yeah. You know, but you know, there's just not you know the, you know there's not a chance for him to be super funny or so. And yet again. In Michael Sussman's episode, in, in, in A Mirror Darkly, he's great. Oh, great. He's great in that. Him, him and Linda Park. Yes. The, yes. They, they killed it in that episode. Linda Park also not great in that show, but boy, is she great in the Mirror Universe. Do you think that's a function of the writing? I mean, was that well? Was in this case, the <laughs> brilliant writing. Of... Brilliant writing. But, look, look, I you know I I worked with Scott for many years and and think the world of him. And he, yeah, I think he did a lot of great work on the show. I think the show also evolved over you know the over, over the many years. Nine Eleven obviously a, a, a really changed our storytelling. Would Scott have still been necessarily at the top of the list to play that character who's going to? In season three, taking a very dark turn and putting people in airlocks and and trying to kill them, that wasn't the part he had signed up for. I think he did a terrific job leaning into that. Um, but you know, the, the the role of the captain uh, really did change over over the course of, of that run. Um, and so, you know, casting the the nice guy sort of football captain. Mm-hmm. Which I, I think was the the intention at first. I think also there had been a perception that perhaps Next Gen was obviously a massive success for for the studio, and um, you know neither Kate nor Avery were sort of box office names when sure. when they were hired. I mean mm-hmm. neither was Patrick, but he right. he became one. 
Um, and so I think they, the studio felt they were making a safe bet by going with Scott. With the name actor, yep. Yeah, and which is why there weren't a whole lot of other people ever even floated for, for that role. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not as much thought was given as should have been to, you know, is, is, this, is this who we want? Granted, he's a star, but it's Star Trek. People are gonna tune in anyway. Um, again, I, 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 there were so many episodes or I, I think Scott really brought it home. But no, wait, I don't think he was bad in the role. I don't think, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I I like Scott Bakula as an actor. I think he just played it very earnestly. You know, he was, well, was very- Well, written very earnestly. Yeah, that's the, what I mean, that's part. why I asked. I mean, it was he was, uh, he was playing it the way it was written. He, right. I don't think, because Scott Bakula, if you knew him from Quantum Leap and you've seen him, and I've met him a number of times in person, and he is a lovely man, uh, just a terrific guy. But yeah, he seemed to be written as the captain of the football team, that earnest guy that wasn't given that dangerous. And yet in Cogenitor, where he dresses down Connor's character, he's really good in that scene. Really good. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, maybe it's unfair to, to, to tar you know, but the, the high school football star is kind of, I think you're kind of hitting it. But see, now we're talking about Bakula as an actor when I think, you know, what we should focus it's on is the in-universe aspect. Yeah, the yeah. in-universe aspect of all of this. Up until about a hundred years ago, there was one question that burned in every human that made us study the stars and dream of traveling to them. Are we alone? Our generation is privileged to know the answer to that question. We are all explorers driven to know what's over the horizon. What's beyond our own shores? Yet, the more I've experienced, the more I've learned that no matter how far we travel or how fast we get there, the most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star, they're within us, woven into the threads that bind us, all of us, to each other. The final frontier begins in this hall. Let's explore it together. Well, one episode I, I got to work on at the beginning of season four, it was, it was wrapping up all the trauma that his character had gone through in season three because we had just kind of ended it on a cliffhanger sure. and then wrapped up the cliffhanger. And we, we did our version of family, basically. Like home? Was that home? That was home. And, Great episode, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and, and half the story was with T'Pol on Vulcan, uh, and the other half was Archer dealing with this. And I wanted to do that story of the football captain who got sent off to war mm -hmm. and was not expecting this, was not expecting not only to... to have to kill people, but to he, he he did some really really questionable things as we in our country were were, were doing at that time, mm -hmm. and having him and to me uh, it's some of my favorite acting that that he did in the whole series. There's a scene on the mountain where he's just he he is just so torn about this is not what I signed up for, and I feel like in some way that's kind of true of Scott. 
that wasn't the part he he thought he'd be mm-hmm. playing. Uh, I don't think any of us knew that at the time, but it was kind of a, a wonderful moment. Again, because I, I like what the actor may have gone through and what the character was going through, it kind of blended at that point. That's so interesting. I, I got to take another look at that episode. I, I it's really good. I really it's, it's really interesting to hear that and um, that take on on Scott. Now, the most recent Star Trek captain is uh, Jason Isaacs is Captain Lorca. We are about to face the most difficult challenge we have ever attempted today. We stare down the bow of the ship of the dead, the very same ship that took thousands of our own in the Battle of the Binary Stars. When I took command of this vessel, you were a crew of polite scientists. Now, I look at you, and you are fierce warriors all. No other Federation vessel would have a chance of pulling this off. Just us. Because mark my words, you will look back proudly and tell the world you were there the day the USS Discovery saved Pavel and ended the Klingon War. And I have to say, you know, without doing too deep a dive into this, because I'll leave that to our sister show to do, uh, you know, I really like Jason Isaacs as an actor, and I I thought that Lorca was probably one of the more interesting aspects of that show. I absolutely agree. Me Um, too. Even though it was fake. It was all fake. You know, he's yeah. playing. It's it's it was but all. But didn't you like know that from like the first episode? Well, that, yes, that's I mean, another I mean, problem the, with that show. The most clumsily right. written fifteen episodes of television in the history. Of, <laughs> oh wait, um, no. But I, I I think Jason Isaacs is a terrific actor. I mean, he, he you know he was in that uh, the the Brit Marling show that was on Netflix, the OA OA the the right. The, oh yeah, sure. Which sure. I where he plays a really bad guy. Right. And and he's he's great. You know, we've seen him. We've seen him play military officers before. I thought watching him on Discovery was terrifically fun. Mm-hmm. You know, but as a captain, if you're going to look, I can't judge him as a captain because he, you know, well. and he seemed to really be enjoying himself. And you know, yeah. we talk about sometimes you 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 know what you bring with you to these roles. The fact that he, as had opposed been, to what you leave behind, yes, <laughs> that he'd been so loathsome in the Harry Potter franchise. Sure. Right. That really, I think, helped. And you also got a sense, oh, here's a movie star, you know, because he's also great in the Revolutionary War film, um, The Patriot, right? right? And 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 so when he, you know, bringing this bag, this baggage worked to his advantage. I felt, you know, whereas the the baggage that that uh, Bakula brought from Quantum Leap as this nice guy right. didn't necessarily. You know, contribute to contribute, who who yeah. was like a chameleon who every week was a different guy. You know that that didn't help necessarily. You know because these characters are all icons, so everything they've done in their career is part and parcel part of this iconography. I feel, and so it worked for Lorca and it worked for Jason Isaacs. So I I I like Georgiou. I mean, I thought she was a, a a really interesting. She started out even though she her tenure as a captain was short lived, <laughs> and of course she comes back as as she took over. She was probably a descendant of Hoshi Sato, Empress Sato. Well, look, I, because I, she was the Empress of the Mirror. I universe. love I love Michelle. Yo, I mean, I loved her back in the 90s in her John Woo days and the heroic trio, um, you know, obviously in Crouching Tiger. You know, she's just somebody, I mean, back when we were all obsessed with the Hong Kong films in the right. 90s, you know, we loved her and I still love her. So, again, she brought something. I was ready to love her the moment she stepped on screen. And, you know, I still like her. I don't necessarily love what they did with her, but, you know, she's great. 
I mean, I don't think Discovery yet has a, a, a legacy of a captain that we've come to know that we really know how it's going to play out. Well, it seems like every season they're going to have different captains because it's really about the first officer. It's about right. uh, uh, Sinequa's character of Michael Burnham. Who also wasn't a very good first officer, really. Well, we're not doing first officer <laughs> courageous. We're doing captain's <laughs> courageous. Right. So, but it seems like the role of the captain in, in, in Discovery is to sort of illuminate her journey. So, in a way, the captains for the first time in the franchise are sort of a supporting character. Right. Um, so, I guess it'll be interesting to see. You know, we didn't talk about Pike um, and Jeffrey Hunter, right. which I love that performance. I don't know if I would have wanted to watch five years of Jeffrey Hunter. Right. But, boy, I, I love him in the cage. I do, too. He's, he's, a great, he's great to get us into this world and see how he dealt with this very strange situation. But... I, I wouldn't want to see him in, uh, you know, in Corbinite Maneuver because he would have lost. Right, he would have lost. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's so, you know, sort of low key. And, and, and um, you know, Ira Bear to this day says his favorite, like, captain was Jeffrey Hunter as Pike. He likes him better than Shatner as Kirk. And, and a lot of that has to do with what we were just talking about, how he grew up seeing him in The Searchers and all right. these movies. So he's a movie star yeah. to him. So he brought all this. Captain Angst. He was Captain <laughs> Angst. Yeah, and I don't think that necessarily that works in the short term, but over the life of the series, right. you don't want to see these angst-ridden well, characters. It also, I mean, the dynamic between he and uh, uh, Nimoy um, was also, so, it, it made the Spock character less interesting as well. It diminished Spock because they were both sort of mellow. Well, yeah, no, Sp- Spock was playing it big yeah. and, and Hunter was playing it small. Yeah. And that dynamic was reversed. Well, and and Nemoy says that. He had no one to play yeah. off of. Whereas with Shatner, he had a sparring partner. Right. Well, what I think is interesting about Star Trek as a whole, you know, because Roddenberry came out of World War II and the idea mm-hmm. of a captain in general, we'd seen captains in, in so many movies up to that point. The idea of what a captain is, the, 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 very, the very idea of what the military was, changed in, during Vietnam and after and into the, the rest of the Cold War. Does Star Trek work require a captain to define it as a show? Well, that's a really good point you make because, of course, as you said, in World War II, the captain was someone who inspired the platoon. You all were scared, mm-hmm. and you placed your trust in this guy to always right. know what the right thing to do was. And if even if Whether he had or moments, not you do or not. Yeah. yeah. And even if they had moments of self-doubt, they projected an air right. of omni- omniscience. Right. And, uh, and it was a great template that lasted for many decades in Star Trek. Now, the question is, the further we get away from World War II, does that evolve? Because, you know, in the intervening years, the role of the military, the role of a captain, you know, it's less, it's more amorphous. And, and, and I don't know. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's true because even in life, we have uh, people that we follow or, or that we uh, find inspirational. And I mean, they may not be a captain, but they project the qualities that we want to emulate and follow and trust. And so it's all sort of this type of a dy- the dynamism of a certain type of person mm. that is a leader, that is someone uh, who can uh, help people envision uh, what the goal is. 
Well, would low, an episode like Next Generation's Lower Decks, which was an outlier, an off-concept episode, which dealt with these officers, you know, on the lower decks of the Enterprise that worked, and then ultimately it becomes a captain show because he sends her on a mission, and it's about, you know, when when Ensign Cito has to go on this right. mission and doesn't come back, it still becomes about the captain. But it is about all these characters on the lower decks from a lot of the show, you know. But I don't know if you could do that every week. Well, they're going to do it with the animated series yeah, they're doing. Yeah, but that's going to be a comedy I right. mean, it's I don't I don't I don't think that's fish nor fowl. You know, in a sense, it, it's going to be you know it's going to be a comedy. I'm expecting red, red shirt of the week, is what I'm. Yeah, expecting. I mean, I don't know what it's going to end up being, but you know, I mean, I know they hired a lot of comedy writers for it, so I, you know, it's almost like hey, I wish it well. I hope it's great. I always hope the next Star Trek is going to be the best Star Trek ever, but. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be a show that really does a deep dive into examining what life is like right. as an officer serving on board a starship. No. Um, I don't know. What do you think? This is an interesting question they bring up. Does Star Trek show need to be about a captain? Well, it feels like Discovery is exploring that question right now, although right. I, I feel like in many ways Discovery is doing what Deep Space Nine did very successfully. I mean, Cisco was not a captain in rank, but he was certainly the commander. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I felt like it, it, it's a challenge. It's really a challenge, I think, in that kind of structure, in that kind of show. Not that Star Trek is a war show, but to say we as writers are going to put the focus on a number two or a number three or, or someone who is basically kind of a mission specialist for the season because we've relieved them of, the, of their rank. Yeah. It's a really interesting idea. I, I think it's it's hard to do in that format. Because you're not, reinventing the paradigm. You are reinventing the paradigm. And it's a bold thing to say, I'm going to do that, or let's do that, let's try it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really hard to pull those those COs, those commanding officers, I think, out of the, out of the template and have it still work. I also think one of the problems with Discovery is we really haven't seen what, what I would call a normal Star Trek show. The whole first season was essentially a long gimmick. You had the mirror universe... Whereas if you went and looked at a show, I want to see the West Wing version of Star Trek, truly, where the president was a character in the West Wing, but the show was all about the other people surrounding yeah, that right. president. Mm-hmm. And if, if I would love to see how does a starship on an exploratory mission with all of these other voices that, that inform the president, mm-hmm. how do they deal with the weekly crisis? And in well, the case of the competence of the support, that requires right. an Aaron Sorkin or a John Wells. It requires, you know, really great writers, somebody of vision, right. and and uh, that's what these shows need. You to know? be fair, though, to be fair with the the West Wing, the original concept was that you wouldn't really see the president yeah. all that right. much, which is why they got. Martin Sheen, and then later when they realized the format required the president, <laughs> and he kind of became the star of the show. They had him over a barrel because yeah, they um, needed him. They That's needed right. him now. Right. So, but it was I, great the way they did service. I mean, all those characters like Toby Ziegler and and sure. and you know they had such a great supporting cast, and and I I think that to me the West Wing is the great unsung Star Trek show. Star Trek show. <laughs> the same way that Master and Commander is one of the great unsung Star Trek movies. Well, that's a whole other episode, isn't right? It? Sure. But I that's what I'm I'm hoping with Discovery is that these I know these season these season long arcs they they go into it with these giant gimmicks and I feel like we're losing maybe that won't be true of season two but we're losing the essence of what Star Trek winds up being and it becomes more about these plot elements and it becomes well, more Well there about is value a lot of value I think in showing how somebody I, I feel like they're building uh uh Burnham into at, at some point she'll be a captain I, right. I, I imagine and we're seeing that character evolve uh 
I think that's a worthy journey to, to put a character on. Let's see how they become mm -hmm. that inspiring figure, that leader. Um, you can write that successfully or not, but I think that's a worthy thing for them to try Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. No question. I just want to see more of that. Well, let me ask you sure. guys before we wrap up, this, which has been a fascinating discussion of Star Trek captains, what's your favorite Star Trek captain that we haven't talked about? Let's uh, Starting with Rob, uh, where, where are some other Star Trek captains? And they don't have to be inspirational. They could be maniacal. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, You know what? I think my favorite Star Trek leader is Martok. I really like what they did with Martok in Deep Space Nine. He he was the kind of a Klingon character that I would I would have watched a show about. We first meet him, uh, the real Martok. He's he's fighting gladiator pit fighting and mm. he's captured. But then the way they show him as a leader throughout the end of Deep Space Nine, um, he he not only is a great leader but he also can work well with others mm -hmm. and the way the way he positions himself and he develops this friendship with Cisco and and I I really I really liked that character I, I, I people always said oh let's do a Klingon show it'd be hideously prohibitively expensive if you're going to do those makeups every episode I don't think it would ever work can they, can they talk in, in Klingon the whole time yeah I, I just yeah <laughs> But I mean, I think as a as a military leader and a, as a captain, I, hey, I really like Ingmar Bergman's <laughs> in Swedish. Uh, I like Martok. Show. They're expensive, but at least they're unintelligible. <laughs> yeah, I think he, Martok was my favorite captain. Okay, Martok. And then what, what about you, uh, well, Darren Well, if, if if Rob can uh, pick a Klingon who is not a captain, I'm going to uh, pick a Commodore who is not a captain, Commodore Matt Decker. Ah, okay. Um, Given he his, was, but not anymore. He was, but not anymore. <laughs> uh, look, given his circumstance, uh, it's completely understandable that he goes batshit crazy. Um, it's completely understandable that he has uh, a, a mental breakdown after losing his entire crew and not being able to do anything about it. But he tries. He tries. He try to the bitter end. He tries to do something. Yeah. And seeing that, seeing, you know. Uh, there but for the grace of God go Kirk mm. you know mm. if Kirk had been in the same situation right. he probably would have reacted the same way yeah. and I mean just seeing he would have lured it in and then it would have blown up the Enterprise <laughs> just, <laughs> just, but just seeing the, the dichotomy between uh, this uh, this commander who Kirk you know respected seeing him go through the, the worst thing that could possibly happen um is just so fascinating, and you know William Wyndham is amazing uh, in his uh, performance because uh, so great. He, he his breakdown is amazing, and uh, it, it's one for the books. Uh, so I I love I love Commodore. And Decker. a lot of actors in that era that the, those those male actors, you know, to go where he went. Yeah, you know, it, it was really too was, frightening for most. It was actors so then. audacious, yeah. and and it's a really great performance. Uh, what about you, Michael? Uh, favorite star uh, starship captain? You know who I'm going to go with? I'm going to go with Captain J.T. Esteban. <laughs> <laughs> He's a guy. Not Captain Terrell. <laughs> first of all, he had he had the first two initials. That's okay, right. Which always was always struck me as odd. Like, what? Why would why would you <laughs> land Captain on Esteban? <laughs> <laughs> He's a guy. He could have uh, been Kirk, Grissom, which was a, such a From cool Star Trek ship. Three. I love the Grissom. It's great. So you know, had so he not far. been sent on that Oberth class ship? That's, that's great. <laughs> I'm shocked because he was incompetent. I mean, he beams him down to the planet. He gets destroyed by this little bird of prey, 
Um, By the way, the same class of vessel that took out Picard's Enterprise. Yeah, well, that was incompetent as well. (laughs) 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 It would never happen to Kirk. It's really Kirk. I mean, he took, like, the Enterprise falling apart with four people and almost held on and then sacrificed the ship to take them out. (laughs) I'm sorry. I read the wrong note. It says J.T. Kirk, not Esteban. (laughs) (laughs) I get them mixed up sometimes. No Garth of Izo? (laughs) Oh, I've learned all about that. Uh, I will. Uh, I will say. Well, it's funny. In, in the spirit of Esteban, my captain is Captain uh, VJ Armitrage uh, uh, yes. from Star Trek IV because we, he had the the, the genius idea we to, are build attempting a to build a makeshift solar sail okay, to hopefully generate power. Wait a minute. If you're gonna be, if you're gonna be, is this solar sail propulsion? Not from Octopussy. Well, he wasn't a captain in Octopussy. I'm gonna change my vote. You know what? I don't want to be Martok anymore. I want to be Baylock. Captain yes. I'm Captain the Fasarius. I get to drink, I get to take alcohol, <laughs> and I get to travel around the universe and just fuck with people. <laughs> See what they're gonna do while as I as I, as I drink my I my vintage. And you know, I'm a pretty nice guy. I really basically just want to invite people over, show them my ship, scare them with my do a little puppet yeah, show. I'm, I'm, a scare, <laughs> I'm a scare a scare them first. Oh I'm gonna be Baylock. Well, on that note, I think we better get the hell out of here. Uh... <laughs> but uh, man, this was this is a super fun show. Uh, talking about uh, great Star Trek captains and. Um, Again, a special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett, Michael Sussman for being here. Hopefully you'll you'll join us again for um, great first officers. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to uh, remind you, you can follow Inglorious Trek Experts on Twitter and Instagram at Inglorious Trek, as well as on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Inglorious Trek, where you can continue the conversation by suggesting show topics and give us feedback on every episode. In addition, if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars at Apple Podcasts. And you can hear all new episodes of Inglorious Trexperts every Sunday, wherever you listen to podcasts. So after you're done watching The Walking Dead, you can, uh, or not, you can uh, listen to our podcast. And if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, check out Disco Nights with host Chase Masterson, special guest each week as uh, they drop new episodes every Thursday night. And uh, if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, you're probably not listening to our podcast um, after today's episode. <laughs> and uh, finally, a very special thanks uh, to uh, Bill Ritter and Natalie Mascali and everyone here at Electric Surge for making the show possible. We could not do it without you. So until next week, on behalf of Robert Meyer Burnett, Michael Sussman, Darren Doctorman, myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on track. Trekking and gloriously, of course, engage. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.